Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. If you're watching us through the Zoom app, you can use the Q&A button to ask us questions, text them in, or you can use the raise your hand icon button and we'll bring your voice and you can ask us on your computer microphone. And uh, also, uh, if well, before I say where on Facebook, Stephen, you're joining us from, no, you're not in Exton, you're not in uh, Gettysburg today, Stephen, where are you coming in from? No, I'm over in Pontiac, Illinois today, um, doing some Bible teaching out this way, and so tuning in um, with you guys from Central Time today. Okay, boy, it's hard to keep you preachers in line here, you're all over the place. Glad you're over there and able to join us, though. Also, Scott. Scott, you are still in Exton today, right? I'm sorry, in Gettysburg today. Yes, and it is snowing. Big oh, time snow. I heard that was Yeah, it is. I don't see it today yet, but we'll see. I'm up in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto. Uh, Jeff will be joining us shortly, but he's not here at the moment. And Noah, our webcast engineer, is with us. Glad you're here, Noah. Thank you. Hi, how you doing? And let's see. That's okay. No. All right. So let, let's see where we're going today. Jeff's going to come in in a little bit, hopefully, because he's got some um, stuff he wants to talk about. What's on the agenda today, guys? Well, first thing, I understand, Drew, that you have a problem. Uh, yeah, I do have a problem. What's 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 your problem? What is what is bugging you? You mean the one I want to share with you now? <laughs> well, here, here's what's bugging me. You know, I do, I do, I have a couple of uh, lessons that I teach every so often in in a uh, online class or or in a, uh, a quarter class on evolution versus uh, creation, and or right. right creation versus and. and we're always talking about the um, the age of the earth or the Big Bang and you know everything the way it is now big. Everything was from the beginning. They track it back down and it gets to a ball. I don't know, depending on who you're listening to, the ball could be around this size of the entire universe. And, that and then some they, people say it was more like this size. Exactly. exactly. So I'm not interested. Yeah, that size or that size with this universe, I don't think that's going to be a much of a difference there. <laughs> but the question is what they say, like what caused it? They don't know what caused it. My question is to, and no one can give me an answer. So I, I want anyone in the audience that can, we got a lot of people that download this on podcasts and I would, I invite someone to please come in, email us. Where did that little ball come from? I so you're not asking, there's a lot of other questions that could be asked. Like, you know, when it blew up, how does an explosion result in, order in life and all of that. that. That's not your question. Your question is uh, just forgetting all that for the moment, forgetting the age discussions, forgetting where did life come from, just if everything came from this infinitely dense singularity that blew up, you want to know where that little ball of stuff that was going to blow up came from. I've been calling it the universe egg, but it's not really an egg either. But I think the sh we don't have to go any further. Someone already came in with an answer. Caleb. Thank you, Caleb. The universe came from the universe store. 
Well, somebody Caleb, went. And hey, Caleb, you know, where, did have the any... where did the universe store come from then? You, you see my point. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Well, somebody went to the universe store and they said, do you have any infinitely dense points of singularity? And they said, just one, but be careful because it might blow up. And then it did. I am making light of it. It's a serious question that I like, I do ask, and no one goes to that point. Although there is an answer that I think one scientist had said, and I forgot which one actually said it, but it was, Stephen, what was it called? Spontaneous singularity or spontaneous something or other. Do you remember what we said? Not sure. Yeah. So in other words, from nothing, it came as a ball. And Stephen then Hawking said that uh, the universe came from nothing. And so it, it, some of the scientists will say where that point of density came from, they don't know. And some will say, but, you know, it, it, it just came from nothing. So according to some scientists, there was nothing. And then, bing, there's something. a point of singularity, a density. So to think about this point, let's take everything on Earth, everything on Jupiter, everything in the solar system, the sun, all the other uh, solar systems, all the other galaxies, crunch it all into this one little ball, and then it's going to blow up and result in all this eventually over uh, various time processes, they would say. But you want to know where that came from. And some of them say it just happened. It just spontaneously came into existence and then blew up. But doesn't that violate some laws of science? You cannot create matter or energy. And you can't destroy it. It is fixed. I forget what that was. You know, I one time heard a debate. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, I forget what law that was called. Not the thermodynamics law, but you can't, you can't, I'm only quoting, remember what a scientist said, you cannot uh, create or destroy. You can change energy and matter, but the amount that's in the universe is the same. Well, there's, there's also just a very basic fundamental principle called cause and effect. I mean, you know, when, when we're dealing with science, we're talking about cause and effect. Here's an effect, what caused it? Here's a cause, what effects result? You know, if you did experiments when you were in middle school or high school, you were dealing with cause and effect. And I've seen a quote where some uh, atheistic scientists have said, well, back at the beginning with quantum physics and stuff, maybe you didn't really need a cause. You know, you, you, and, but science kind of involves cause and effect. And here's something else interesting. Years ago, I heard a debate between an evolutionist, an atheist, and a believer. And the scientist said, answering the question, this question that you posed, he said, we don't know where it came from. Some scientists believe it came from nothing. That same scientist later in the debate attacked the believer for believing in creation ex nihilo, Latin for out of nothing, because he was saying that's unscientific. Now, there's two problems with this. Uh, what would you say the first problem is? So the scientists had said, we don't know what went bang, but some scientists believe it came from nothing. That might have happened. Then he turns around and he attacks the believer 
for believing ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, because he said that would be unscientific. What are the two problems with that, either of you? Well, first uh, of all, it's a double standard. He's already said yeah. we get something from nothing, but you can't get something from nothing because that would right. be <laughs> yeah. We can do it, and it's scientific. You do it, it's not. There's a second uh, issue there, um, and it's not so much in his argument, but looking at maybe the believer's argument. Does the Bible teach ex nihilo? No. Chapter 11, um, verse 3, Hebrews eleven three says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the Bible doesn't say that God created the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. It said he created it by the word, not out of things that are visible. So God didn't go to the universe store and buy some mud and rocks and, and, and water and, 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 and hydrogen and build a universe. But that doesn't mean it came from nothing. It comes from an almighty creator and, and his word and his power and however else he did. We have it. A couple of comments came in. Uh, Jerry commented, but now we're told that no thing can come from nothing, which is a scientific observation. Nothing comes from nothing. If you have nothing and then you wait 10 minutes, you still have nothing. Still got nothing. You you can wait for 10 billion years and you still have nothing. And you still have nothing. Um, That is observable. That's, that's testable from what we from everything that we've seen. You don't get something from nothing. And so that's really what goes back to all this, this the origins debate. How did everything get here? What yeah. is there an adequate cause for the effects that we can observe in the universe that we live in? Yeah, see my problem now, Scott? <laughs> that's I see your problem, Drew. I can't get that answer. I think you have a solution. I think you have a solution to that problem. <laughs> I think so. What is the solution? (laughs) What's your solution to that problem? Well, you've already read it from Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. There was a Wait a minute. Let me see. Are you... Were you trying to get this out of me? I don't have enough faith to be an atheist? Oh, no, that's fine, too. I wasn't trying to get any particular words. It takes a lot more faith to... Just listening, I'm not a rocket scientist, you can tell that, but just listening to the scientists, they have faith that it came from nothing. That's one thing that's really important about when we get into the origins questions is to remember that empirical science has limitations. You have to be able to reproduce something, you have to be able to observe something. And when we get into distant historical events that nobody in this generation or in recorded history right. that we know of was able to give eyewitness accounts right. there, they can, they wrote it down or something like that. We get outside the realm of empirical science and we get into the realm of philosophy and theology because we, we're still trying to extrapolate from what we can see and what we can observe. But yeah, that's if, really important. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So when we have to answer these questions, a lot of times people try to pit the ideas of science 
versus the idea of religion or of faith in general. But the thing is, whatever you believe, whatever you believe about how the universe got here, everyone accepts it on the basis of faith. faith. Meaning, get, well, hold on, getting here by that little ball that started first. How did that ball get here? Right. Whatever you believe the explanation is, you believe it on faith because you did not see it happen. We have not been able to create it. We cannot observe it. It is not empirical science. Oh, by the way, I'm not saying there was a little ball. I'm just saying that's I'm just science. Saying, given, given their definition, where do they think their, their little point came from? Here's something else, and you just mentioned this, Stephen, that nobody saw how life began. Nobody saw the world begin. Nobody saw the universe begin. And so we have to look at what's here now. I want you to think how much that's similar to, say, a murder trial. Uh, a body has been found. Evidence points to someone did it. And you can't go back in time. And, well, OJ's just apparently... Uh, a video of one of his uh, uh, interviews where he theoretically describes how he did it, if he did it. You know, if you remember that trial, we didn't have eyewitnesses who could tell us, I saw him do it. But there was a lot of evidence. Now a jury chooses to believe the evidence or not. But in a murder trial, you have to look at the evidence that remains now and make a logical decision about what happened that you didn't see, correct? That's correct. Yep. All right. So what remains now? Well, does life exist? Yep. Yeah. Does intelligence exist? Yep. Does matter exist? So maybe reverse that. Matter exists, life exists, and intelligence exists. So if that's what's here now, here's two explanations. There was nothing. There was no life, there was no intelligence, there was no matter. And then suddenly, there was matter. And then it blew up. And then eventually, some matter combined and turned into life and turned into intelligence. So in that theory, you have intelligence and life and matter all come from no intelligence, no life, no matter. No, just, just nothing. And the other says that there's a creator who is alive and intelligent. And he created this, this matter in this universe and he created life and intelligence. Which of those has an adequate cause for the effect? The fact that there's something alive and intelligent that, is responsible for the material world that we see that has a design and uh oh looks like Stephen froze. Oh no Steven's back. Oh sorry. Uh oh his audio is gone. Steven went into that black hole. I oh, see man. Steven. He's he's moving for me. I'm oh. hearing you guys just fine. So I'm it must be me. All right we've got several comments here. Uh now we're told that no think okay that one was already read. Uh, oh, uh, uh, here's a comment, Romans chapter 1. That's very important text on this subject. Somebody take us to that, please. Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul is discussing 
the problem of sin, uh, particularly for those who are not Jews, for the Gentiles. But um, as he talks about the wrath of God, uh, he starts to talk about um, God's creation, things that we can know about God. Romans 1, starting in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So he talks about here that God is invisible, and his attributes are invisible to us. We can't put God on a test tube. We can't go look at him physically, but we can see what God made. And that's true on a lot of different levels. If you look at something that has been made, whether it's a car, I didn't see the person who designed that car, who made that car, but I can tell because of its anatomy, its construction, somebody smart made that. And they had some pretty powerful tools to put it together because I can't just you know pick up some dirt and you know, make it into metal or whatever. And so we can look at what has been made and realize at least two things. However the world got here, it was put here by someone who is incredibly powerful. When you think about even something like the sun, nobody on earth made that. <laughs> That's an incredible amount of power and energy that we cannot reproduce. If all humankind got together, we couldn't make something like that. And so it, it's powerful and it's, it's divine. It's beyond us. Uh, we don't see people making things like planets and solar systems and the, the forces that are at work in the universe that we can observe. And so it says that these people were without excuse. They could at least know that there is someone powerful and divine in the universe. Um, yeah. And we are, as we observe the universe, uh, in a similar position. Uh, we can look and see the design and the power and the fact that nothing, no, none of the intelligent forces that we're aware of on this planet could have done that. But it has to have come from something higher than ourselves. Now, again, you, you can get into a lot of different questions. Some people would say, oh, well, we were, life was planted here by aliens. It came from another intelligent world. But you're still talking about an intelligent designer that put life here. Now, I don't think that's true um, as far as aliens putting life here. Well, okay, let's go there, though. Where did the aliens come from? It still it leaves you with the same origins question. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Now back back just we got a we get, got a question here. Go ahead. Before you get to that that question though, what you were saying, since we are here, something had to always exist because you can't get something from nothing. And of the three, matter could not have always existed, nor matter can matter create itself. So it had to be mind intelligence. We call it mind had to always exist, and that's referring to the creator if he always existed and we believe he did the evidence at least shows that he did so something always had to exist then it's god that brought the matter into existence uh, we've got a question here and it's on it's on a different topic but we'll touch on it briefly before moving on to a couple of other things we've got here today and it's on the point of evidence 
and he's going to say, could a, Aaron writes, could a secular scientist argue the same thing for observing evidence? For example, light travels at X speed and stars are still coming into sight, still supposedly, therefore, the Earth has to be older than 6,000 to 10,000 years. Uh, in other words, could they say, well, you have to look at the evidence. And there's all sorts of different evidences to consider. What we're, and we'll, we'll touch on this light thing just briefly here, but at least that's a discussion about evidence. Whereas when we get to just speculating that there was nothing and then something, Where's the evidence for that? And so uh, the evidence of the creator is referred to in Romans 1. That's not evidence that Jesus is the Messiah or that the Bible is the word of God. That's just evidence that Gentiles who didn't have the Bible could have seen before Jesus was born, just looking and saying, oh, somebody did this. Now, just briefly, though, let's do touch on this other question. Um, if light travels at X speed of light and stars are coming into sight that are, you know, so many uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of light years away, doesn't that mean that uh, it all has to be that age? And of course, when we look at Genesis chapter two, there's a very, or Genesis chapter one, there's very curious detail in there. What was created before the stars? Light. light. Yeah. It was a very, very striking. God created light. And then he creates the sun, the moon, the stars later. But the, the light he already puts there. Very curious. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's turn our attention now to, I believe we had a question about uh, the mass, the, the Catholic view of mass. What was that question, Drew? Uh, Jeff actually had the uh, question, or at least raised it, um, and it was not about the substantiation of the Eucharist, but that Jesus in the Mass is being offered continually each time they have the Mass. In other words, his sacrifice is being re-offered. I think that was it, wasn't it, Stephen? Was that, was that a viewer question, or was that one that Jeff presented? I think that's something that Jeff had brought up, uh, maybe from a conversation he had so had. Why don't we wait till Jeff's here? and discuss that. Although, curiously, we were talking about that uh, just yesterday in a study uh, with a Catholic friend up in Harrisburg and corresponding on that. But we'll, we'll hold off on that then, and let's turn to, every once in a while, we do with the Bible as a tool chest. And what we mean here is just simply we're going to put forth a scenario, the type of things that we run into uh, from day to day or in our interactions, and then here's a problem. Well, how do you solve that problem? What do you biblically do with that problem? And so I'll throw out a problem, and then I'll ask uh, uh, you gentlemen to reach in the tool chest and pull out the verses that apply. Hey, uh, so, yeah, I, I already, I already, that's how I started the program. I threw out my problem. And you guys, hey, there you go. And you went, guys went to the scriptures right. to answer that question. Go ahead. All right, there we go. Uh, so here's a problem. You're, you're in a congregation. Uh, and you're worshiping with people who are not always perfect, and you are not always perfect. And so from time to time, you've needed to apologize. Somebody else has. But there's someone who has wronged you, and either they haven't realized they've wronged you, or they don't seem to care that they have wronged you, and you're you're bothered about what they did. Uh, And maybe you're tempted to 
react in any variety of ways. But what does what is what do you do? What does the Lord say do in a situation like that? I don't know the exact uh, verse, Stephen. I'm sure you can help me on this one, but it's the one where Jesus teaches the principle out that if someone sinned against you, right? And then is that the scenario that someone else had yeah. done? That you as the quote-unquote innocent victim here need to go to that person. Mm-hmm. Did, I, did I quote that right or did I paraphrase that yeah. right? Yeah, Matthew 18 yeah. and verse 15, uh, Jesus is talking in this section about relationships with other people and reconciling problems Um, But he does say in Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you gained your brother. Uh, So that's kind of the first step in this process. Jesus talks about some other steps. But one of the things that's important to note about that verse, it says between you and him alone. Yes. Uh, It's tempting when somebody does us wrong and we feel hurt to first go to who? Somebody else to get sympathy. Exactly. We want to go talk about Drew, how we are. Drew, did you hear what Stephen said to me the other day? Yeah. What did he say? Did you hear what he said? Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's yeah. not the way to do it. And that's not the way to do it. Uh, there's so many problems that come when we don't go directly to the person who has hurt us. Cause it may even be, they're not aware. Like you mentioned, Scott, um, there's times where we accidentally hurt each other and we need to communicate about that instead of letting hurt and bitterness grow in our hearts, go to them, you and him alone. Um, So suppose I go to him and I I don't tell Drew about it. I don't tell Stephen about it. Um, I go to him. Let's say it's Jeff. I go to him and I go to him alone. I confront him and he makes it right. So then I say, so, Drew, Stephen, now he's made it right, but let me tell you what Jeff did. And I went to him alone, and for, is that right? You know, there's, some, there's also some principles on gossip, right? Yeah, the point of going to him alone is because there's several points. One, Jesus said it, but just looking at it, what are some valuable, besides the fact that Jesus said to do it, What's really important about doing it alone? It doesn't spread the hurt that's happened already. And it it leads to, we have a tendency, especially when we've been hurt, even if it was painful initially, to exaggerate. uh, Yes. uh, And even if people are trying to retaliate, you know, we really want to make sure they understand how much they hurt us. And so we try to one up. verbally or whatever's happened. Um, So we just got to guard our hearts against bitterness and going to the person alone, just the two of us helps to be able to kind of work through that without it pulling other people in and creating a bigger problem. You know what else it does? Go ahead. It brings the two of you closer. You've gone through a battle, you've worked it out. And now the two of you are a lot closer. It's the respectful way to do it. And it isn't an example of uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If one of you has a problem with me, how would I like you to handle that? Mm. I'd like you to come to me. And if it's, if it's not anybody else's business, I'd like it to stay, you know, be settled between you and I. And so it's, it's not making other people's 
bringing other people into problems is not their business. It's not poisoning other people's minds. You know, sometimes when people gossip, they'll say, but it's true. Who here would like every single true thing that's ever existed about them to just be broadcast to everybody else because it's true? Not at all. Not so great. No, it's, it's not other people's business. It's solved and, and it's respectful. That's what Jesus said. But German, German brings up a good point. Uh, I think it was Herman. It says, uh, what about if you can't go to him alone because he twists everything you say? Well, Jesus continues, he continues the conversation in verse 16. If he does not take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now you've got people, one or two, two or three, work on a little bit further. Yeah. And to be clear there, I think... I remember one situation where... uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Both of you started talking and both of you stopped. Go ahead, Stephen. Stephen? Go ahead, Scott. I... Uh, okay, so uh, the two or three witnesses there, uh, sometimes there's been something that's happened and nobody else was there to see it happen. I think the two or three witnesses um, in this instance uh, can also be, there's people who come in to mediate um, and that they're there to see the accusations that are being given back and forth. Um, and like, you know, this brother has brought up, uh, if someone's twisting the things you say, well, now you've got somebody present to help kind of figure out, well, wait a minute, you need to listen. Um, that's not what they said or something like that um, to where there's more people who are, who are involved to help right. resolve this issue. Um, you know, and, and if I asked you two to go with me and you say, I want you to be there and hear what's said and you go and you hear what's said and you hear the other person being rational and fair and me saying, you know, misrepresenting what they're saying and, and other things. And then you two say to me, Scott, he's not saying what you're saying he's saying. You're mishearing him. You're misrepresenting him. Then I need to listen. You know, it, what it's saying in Proverbs, in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. So I might realize, you know, I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Or it may be that the other guy has said something. You need witnesses. He said it. I remember a situation where there was a fellow. He'd been there ever since the church started and um, well, to protect the innocent, we will call him, to protect the guilty, we'll call him <laughs> Brother Smith. And uh, three people, when he'd made a charge against somebody and, and uh, tried to talk to him and he didn't want to talk. He just continued in the same vein. So the person went with two other people and they said to him, they said, Brother Smith, the Bible says... And he said to all three of them, he said, I don't care what that Bible says. Whoa. Well, you know, now it's not just one person walking away said, Brother Smith said he doesn't care what the Bible says. Uh, Later, he threatened to get a gun and go shoot one of them. (laughs) So, um, but, you know, when you have witnesses that say, yeah, that's what happened. But there's, it could also end up positively. All right. So suppose somebody has a problem with me and they've come to me and I reacted defensively or, or I was quick to speak and slow to hear. And so they need some help. And they ask Drew and Stephen to come with me and talk. And Stephen says, Scott, read that text, please. And Drew says, Scott, do you think you're having the right attitude here? And 
the word starts piercing to my heart. And instead of resisting it, I receive with meekness the implanted word. And I say, you guys are right. And I say to the person that said originally, I should have listened to you before. I was being hard-headed about this. I'm wrong. Or, well, again, you, can go, or you can go the other way. I'm just going to go get, get a gun. Which yeah, means, yeah, that's, that's the other one we just talked about. Which but means that you're not sincere about in it. This one, yeah, in this one, uh, it, the same object had been reached. It could have been reached the first time if I would have listened. That is, you've gained your brother. And so now it's, it's made right between us. It can drop right there. Does everybody else need to know about this conversation? No. Do, do we need to go tell our wives everything that somebody else said, you know, or, or, or this person or that person or somebody else? We don't need to tell everybody everybody's business. There have been so many times I've been on a study and I'll come home and uh, Martina will say, uh, so what y'all talk about? And I said, well, it was personal. You know, it was, it was uh, for some nature, reason or other, a person had a problem that wasn't really other people's business. Uh, but suppose I'm still being not headed. I wouldn't listen to the first brother. I wouldn't listen when he brought one or two more brothers. And I say, I don't care what that one says or some other dismissive reaction. Now what do we do? Think of the harm that happens too when you do share that negative interactivity with let's say your spouse or your or, or your mother or father. When you're close and have that relationship and someone else hurts you, that person who loves you is going to have a harder time overcoming that hurt that was caused upon you. Ooh, a good illustration of that is this. A young couple gets married, and they're happy, 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 happy turtle doves in love. And then they have their first fight. And they've had an argument. They've gotten their feelings out of sorts, and they've said some unkind things to each other. Now, by that evening, hopefully, what have hubby and wife done? You hope they've worked it out. And they've kissed and they've made up. And now everything's beautiful. But what if that little bride runs and tells her mother? And what if that little groom runs and tells his mother about, do you know what she said to me? Do you know what he said? Now, after the couple has kissed and made up and everything's fine there, who wanting in on that kissing and making up? Yeah. Parents. Yeah. And then there, it, that makes it easy for them to hold on to that. So it's, it's, it's a keep it contained and get, and get it solved and apologize. And Jesus gave us the principles right there, Matthew. But back to the text, what if they won't listen? They didn't listen the first time when somebody came to them. They didn't listen the second time when a couple of brother a brother or two came with them. Nobody did. Now you bring in the bigger circle. You now bring it in before the whole church, right? Yeah, verse yeah let's read the text. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So hopefully he will listen to the church. But if he won't, he's to be cast out. Now, what if the original thing wasn't what some people might call that big a deal. You know, what if he uh, was just 
you know, behaving rudely or told a little white lie. You know, you hear people say that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes when we want to justify our behavior, we find some way to minimize it and act. Well, what did Saul do when Samuel comes and said, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? It was the, the people. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, but I obeyed. And it, but that's where it's at. Find some way to justify it. And sometimes we might think, well, it's, the point is, if this has gone this far, it also shows that that's really just the tip of the iceberg, doesn't it? Because whatever it is I did that I originally wouldn't apologize for, I've shown just a generally unrepentant attitude in, in addition to that. Because when and we come back to Proverbs, correct a wise man and he will be what? Still wiser. Yeah. Correct a fool and he hates it. So we all need correction, don't we, sometimes? And doesn't 2 Timothy 3.16 say the word is for our correction? And sometimes a brother can help me see that. So we all need correction. And if you find out through this process that I refuse to be corrected and will not accept any correction, then in addition to the original problem that needed to be corrected, we've got a bigger problem. I'm a fool that won't accept correction. And is that a disciple of Christ? Yeah. You know, it's easy for us to have this conversation about these things in this neutral environment that we're having. And then that day when it comes where let's say, Scott, you and I really then, you know, butt heads at it, it's not as easy, but we need to learn that principle now before we get into that situation. So that we'll be ready. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So let's touch on this. What are some biblical principles to remember if you're the one going to correct someone? And then what are some biblical pr principles to remember if you're needing to receive correction? Let's start with if you're going to correct someone. One thing that's helpful is to not assume you know everything about the situation. You know, there's a well, that's historical account in the book of Joshua that I think is really interesting. Um, it's in Joshua 22. We won't go through the whole thing right now, but I think it has some fascinating principles for correcting and receiving correction. It's where the Eastern tribes, remember Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh over on the east side of the Jordan, they're returning to that side and they build an altar before they've crossed back over the Jordan to their land. And Okay. Western tribes hear about it and they initially assume the worst. They assume they're already building some other altar besides the altar at the tabernacle and <gasps> they're oh. rebelling against God. And, and, and so thankfully though, they don't, well, I mean, they get geared up for war, but they go over, but they first go and ask and say, what is this you've done by building this other altar? Yeah. And it turns out the Eastern tribes weren't trying to worship some other God or go to idols. It's that they were just trying to build a memorial for their descendants to remember that, hey, just because we're not on the Western side of the Jordan, we're still part of God's people. It was actually the opposite purpose. But when we go to correct somebody, many times we're assuming the worst. 
we mm. think, oh, there's these symptoms that I've seen in their life, and I just bet it's because they're thinking this way or their heart's going in this direction. And, <gasps> and we just need sometimes it's helpful when you have to confront somebody to pose it in the form of a question and to say, you know, I've, I've seen these things in your life. Um, you know, what, what's going on with that? You know, how, how, is, how yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And let them explain because it may right. be that there's some explanation that you're overreacting to. And Good. You don't have the full picture. Um, there's times where yeah. there's something bad going on, but not every time mm-hmm. there's smoke is there fire. Uh, and we have to be careful not yeah. to overreact. And it might be smoke blowing in from somewhere else. Very good point. All right. What's, some, what's another one? Well, one thing I appreciate about the thing that they do is if they're going to con- confront them here in Joshua 22, they're willing to hold them accountable. <laughs> uh, they're willing to actually do the correcting. Um, there's times where we might go with somebody or see something bad that's going on. And uh, uh, one thing we need to do if we're going to correct somebody is actually correct them, actually hold people accountable to what God's word says, because sometimes it's easier to just be scared of conflict and, Oh, I don't want to rock the boat. And no, I, it's going to mess up relationships. It's going to be awkward. And well, sometimes you just got to do what's right. And that takes guts to be able to go to somebody and say, Hey, you're in the wrong and you need to repent and yep. turn to the Lord. And if you don't, I'm going to yep. have to get some other people involved and, you know, go through the process that we've already mentioned. Or you may be in the wrong, and you're not realizing it, right, Stephen? So someone can say, wait a minute. Yeah. And which is similar to that example you gave before. Right. Yeah. All right. What spirit, what attitude should you go with? I'm thinking of Galatians 6.1. If a brother is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Yeah. Uh, now, there, there are some times when we'll see Paul come down hard on people. And there will be some times it will need to be come, come down hard on people. But you don't start, you know, with a sledgehammer. You know, uh, what's the old saying? A word to the wise is sufficient. So you know, don't start with a load full uh, of rebuke when all that's needed is a word. Like suppose if Stephen comes to me and he says, Scott, I'm, I'm concerned about this. What's going on there? And I say, you know, Stephen, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's, you know, this has been troubling me. And, I, and, and Stephen reminds me of some verses and some behavior. And I say, you're right. I'll do that. Thank you. It, it, sometimes a, a word is all it takes. Now, when an, an example of this is the Thessalonians. By 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul's going to say what? If a, he's going to say, the, some of you are lazy and busybody, busybodies and you won't work. And if they won't repent, the rest of you need to have, not have any company with them. Don't associate with them so they'll be ashamed and repent. But that wasn't the first conversation about this, was it? Mm. All right. In 1 Thessalonians, he had told them, Use your own hands, provide for yourself, as we told you before. And in fact, even in 2 Thessalonians, it says, as we told you when we were with you, if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. So when he got there, he saw a problem, he addressed it. When he wrote them again, it hadn't got better. 
he addressed it again. And when it still doesn't get better, then he has to kind of lower the boom on. Mm -hmm. We had a couple of comments come in. Um, when you're confronting someone, this is a good point. Examine yourself first. Mm. And that's the principle that Jesus gave in Matthew 7 in those first verses where he's talking about judge not that you be not judged. Um, you know, don't go after the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye. Kind of a humorous illustration, but so true. Um, it's easy to be tougher on other people than we are on ourselves. And if we're busy getting the plank out of our own eye, we'll see clearly to get the speck out of our brother's eye. Uh, can you We've also got a comment that says, sometimes you need more than one witness. And you notice Jesus said, go with one or two. Sometimes you might realize, you know, I'm only going to need one person here. Other times it might need two. But also, might there be wisdom in who you select? If I go to somebody and maybe we've got different personalities or maybe we've tended to, you know, just not match up real well sometimes, and I realize, well, maybe they're not hearing it from me. Maybe they'll hear it from somebody else. If I pick two other people just like me, or, you know, my, my cousins or my brothers or my best friends or, you, you know, the guys that you're stacking what would the probably deck. be a better idea. You're stacking the deck. Like a neutral party. Yeah, a neutral party or even someone I know they respect. Hey, guys. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I just realized that we're having so much, uh, we're enjoying this conversation so much, but it, uh, I just looked at the clock. They were running out of time. Uh, and I don't know if you have any more, much more you want to say on it, but I think we got the point across, right? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and I, I, did, I didn't want, there was one comment that we overlooked, which related to the very first discussion, and I just want to bring it up, and we're going to let Jeff give us more information on this next week, because he he's would be more of an expert on this than myself. Bertina says, could the age of the, referring to the first question of my original problem, can the age of the star of stars be attributed to things being created with apparent age, such as Adam being created as an adult? Could the stars be similar? Don't answer it, but that was a good observation and question. We also had a comment there from Laura. She said, when confronting, and then from the book of Ephesians, speak the truth in love. Bottom line. Those two things together are really important. Bottom line. Wow, that was a fast 45 minutes, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Scott. You helped me out with my problem to some extent. And uh, look. Wednesday. Uh, what was that, Stephen? Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Yes, thank you, everyone. I look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good week. Thanks, everybody.